What will the BOC do? Let's consider some numbers. May job numbers down 0.1%. Nice. May inflation, 3.4%, a whole lot better than the 4.4% we saw in April, and arguably closer to 2.5% if the housing cost component were removed. Um, and it could be, since 0.9% of that 3.4% figure is arguably self-inflicted by the Bank of Canada's own rate hikes. Hopefully, the Bank of Canada considers all of this come July 12th. Hopefully, the Bank of Canada also considers that we are just now feeling the impacts of the first interest rate hikes made over a year ago. And the many hikes that then followed will all be impacting us potentially like a killer set of waves rolling in. If you've ever tried surfing and you've fallen off the board, and then just as you get your head back out of the water, that next wave comes over you, that's kind of what this is going to start to feel like, I think. However, the June job numbers are likely to be a key piece of this puzzle. Those will be released just a couple days prior to the next Bank of Canada rate decision on July 12th. And while we may all be starting to feel like things could be cool, the Bank of Canada has decided to be anything but cool or predictable. So it's anybody's guess, really. Even if those job numbers are good, uh, you know, we'll see. This is what happens, you know, when none of us listen, which a year ago, after a few hikes, we weren't. We weren't listening. We were still taking delivery of long-awaited cars and trucks, still moving forward with renovation plans, still packing restaurants and bars every single weekend. But today, today, dealerships are sitting on increasing inventory of canceled orders. And I would say expect to see the days of the $500 deposit for that new truck or car uh, end. The new era will be a $5,000 non-refundable deposit because dealerships are getting zapped left and right. And today, contractors are answering their phones and returning phone calls and showing up early even to quote for work. And they can start that work next week or next month, but not next year or three years from now. And today, well, okay, for the most part, we're not done with dining out just yet. And that's probably a good thing because the restaurant industry, they paid their dues through COVID. Uh, the last thing they need is a, a double whammy with a recession on the heels of that COVID mess. So watch that job number. That'll be an indicator of where the Bank of Canada goes come July 12th. But as I say, as of today, and arguably even as of July 10th, it'll still be anybody's guess. Another aspect of this all to consider, though, here in the real world, where things are starting to get a bit too real and also totally unrealistic uh, in some ways for many people, is this. Check out these numbers. These are all May numbers. So 20, May 2018, inflation was 2.2%. 2019, 2.7%. 2020, negative 0.2%. Although it was interesting because inflation was driven into the negative by including the price of gas. If you took the price of gas out, it was actually 0.7%, but with the price of gas included, which normally lowers inflation, it actually drove us into negative 0.2%, or pardon me, normally increases. So Q2 of 2020, that was that point in time where crude oil was at a negative price. They would actually pay you money to take away a barrel of oil. Like here's a barrel of oil and a $20 bill. Um, you know, those tough times didn't last long for the oil and gas industry, 
of course, from near zero profits in 2020, they rocketed to an all-time record of $219 billion in 2022. So much for the death of big oil. All right, the inflation numbers. So like I say, 2.2% 2018, 2.7% 2019, negative 0.2% 2020, bouncing back to 3.6% in 2021, and hitting 7.7% in May of 2022 before peaking the next month and then trickling down from there. May of 2023, as I just said, 3.4%. So key points in this. One, we're still moving in the wrong direction overall. The Bank of Canada is fixated on this for good reason. I mean, we're moving in the right direction in that the rate of inflation is coming down, but we're moving in the wrong direction still steadily in that inflation is well above 2%. The average inflation from 2018 to 2021 was 2.12%, pretty close to that 2% target. But that 7.7% spike in 2022 brings that five-year average up to 3.2%, 60% above the target, right? And this week's 3.4% edges that average, average, edges that average, if you stretch the average over six years, even higher to 3.23%, still moving in the wrong direction. Number two, point number two for people, again, living in the real world, which is all of us, that 7.7%, it's like a tongue twister, that 7.7% spike last year is now baked in as will be the 3.4% number this year on top of that 7.7. So in other words, a thing that cost $100 in 2021 should in theory be $104.04 in 2023. The four cents is the compounding, a powerful piece of this puzzle. However, that thing was $100, that thing that was $100 in 2021 is today $111.36. Instead of $104, it's now $111. And even if the Bank of Canada hits their 2% target moving into next year, the genie of last year and this year can't be put back in the bottle. So rather than $106.12, which is what it would have been if we just had 2% along for those three years, come next year, even if we get down to 2%, that $100 thing from 2021, it won't be $106, it'll be $113.60. So perhaps we should be grateful that the Bank of Canada is not wanting to flatten the rolling average back down to 2%. Imagine what kind of ramifications that would have in your life. Imagine what effort that would take. It seems that this baked-in piece of the conversation, uh, if, if not lost in the mix, it's just kind of not really being discussed And maybe that's for better or worse. Better because, like I say, what steps would be required to try and push prices back down that far? Painful steps at this point. People have got raises. Are you going to unwind those raises? Rents have gone up on certain properties. Are landlords going to want those rents to go down? Not when their mortgages come up for renewal and the payment has gone up and they had to increase the rents. So, like I say, you can't put the genie back in the bottle And this is the whole point that the Bank of Canada has been really trying to hammer home. But it's also for worse, because if you're a fixed income individual or you have people in your lives, most of us do, that are on something close to a fixed income, there's no reprieve. There's no rescue. There's no mercy for those people. There's only this new, much more expensive reality 
where they can only buy less stuff. That's the bottom line. They're having to cut things from their life that they used to spend money on. Those things are just gone forever. That's it. Used to take a two-week vacation. Maybe it's a one-week vacation. Used to maybe squeeze a one-week vacation. Now you get no vacation for the rest of your days, depending on what your income picture looks like. All we can hope for being on the front lines, which we really are, of the worst housing cost inflation in history, now running at 29% year over year, by the way, is that the Bank of Canada eases up. That's all we can hope for, that they ease up at this point. And hopefully, we're demonstrating that we're feeling the pain clearly enough to the Bank of Canada that they, they do give us a bit of breathing room here. And we'll go from there. I'm ending on that note. Not a great note, I know, but there it is. That's what I have for you. Yes, this individual's new things might not get better. No, they may they maybe won't. And um, yeah, well, hey, no, not not everybody is cut out to be uh, living in a commission world. That's for sure. It is difficult, and I don't know. I think I think that it's acceptable to struggle for one year in this business. But I think if you're going into a second year, if you've gone twelve months and have not funded a single file. And you're going into a second 12 months, I, I think you really need to reconsider where you're going. Because 12 months without closing a single file, that is way too long. And consistently, I meet people who are 12 days in and they've got a file in the pipe and it's closing in the first month or two. Uh, I, I meet people all the time that in the first 12 months, they fund 10 files. It, it, that that's kind of a baseline, in, in fact, uh, of, of the majority of people that I wind up speaking with. So, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you, you do have to face the reality. And, you know, I may have spoken to this. I know I've spoken to it conversationally, perhaps not on, on this venue. But you, it seems like there are two extremes of individual in, in, the, in the industry. And then, and then there's the gray area. On one extreme, you have somebody that believes they need to know everything there is to know about mortgages. They need to understand every single lender's policies, guidelines, processes. They need to be ready to answer any possible question that anyone ever asks them because God forbid they get caught not having an answer to a question. That would be unprofessional, unacceptable, and they can't do that. And those people tend to be more skewed towards that sort of engineer, IT professional mindset where you know, those industries have a whole bunch of rules, like if this, then that, period, the end, every single time, every single time this happens, then that happens. Every single time this question is asked, this is the answer. That might be engineering, that might be IT, that might be accounting, where, you know, numbers are numbers and formulas don't change. It's not mortgage world. Mortgage world is the land of the unwritten exception. It's the land of the ever-changing guidelines. So you can never actually be 100% prepared, ever. You're lucky if you're 50% prepared. And then way over here at the other end of the spectrum, we have the new mortgage broker that isn't worried about understanding anything to do at all. They're just worried about getting applications. And they're gathering a whole bunch of applications. They can't tell a good application from a bad application, but they got a whole bunch of applications and they need someone to help filter through those applications because you know time is of the essence. And can they actually get some of these things funded or not? But they've been so busy just gathering applications. They really don't have 
anything but the very the most basic understanding of the mortgage business. And you don't want to really be at either one of those extremes, but you definitely want to skew towards having more applications than you know what to do with and not really knowing how to get them done. Because if you skew towards knowing how to do something but having nobody to do it for, well, that's a recipe for disaster. And as I say, it's the folks that feel like they they need to be able to answer any question that comes at them that don't make the outbound calls because they're worried about getting caught without an answer to a question. You can't worry about that. You just got to deal with it. You deal with it on the fly. I don't have the answer to that question, but I will get it for you. It, it is what it is. You've got to get in the game. You've got to get applications. If you don't have applications, you don't survive. That's the reality. You know, I was going to say something else, but I'm not going to say it. And yeah, here's a great comment. This business is still the best opportunity for anyone to make a very good living without a huge upfront investment of money. That's for sure. And this is an individual who's gone through four decades of ups and downs and retired in his early 50s. Stick it out and make your way. It'll pay off in the long haul. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, the, the, there's the high highs and the low lows. And like I say, unfortunately, a lot of people have stepped into this industry over the past 12 months, and it has been the most challenging uh, 12 months for people with 10 years of experience, let alone somebody with 10 days of experience. That is the reality. All right, look, I'm going to end it there. I'm 36 minutes. I always shoot for 30 and I always go over. All right. I hope some of this has been useful for you guys. I hope there's a few nuggets you can take away and use and uh, go forth, make some outbound calls, make some magic happen. Oh, one other footnote. Um, I heard a broker being interviewed on, um, it doesn't matter what it was. They were being interviewed and it was a Q&A thing. And the question came in from a client. And this is really indicative of, of um, the misunderstanding so many clients have. The question was, I'm in a variable rate mortgage. Uh, they were roughly prime minus one. Um, and I'm wondering if I should pay the penalty to break my mortgage and lock in. And then the broker went into the answer, but I feel like they skipped over the key point that needed to be made because I think there's potentially an assumption being made by that client. Some of you have clued in right away to what I'm talking about. The broker's answer was, you know, to go straight to the math. Well, you need to do the analysis on what the rate is and what the cost of your penalty is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously, the first piece, uh, the, the first response to that question is, if you lock in with your existing lender, there is no penalty. There are a lot of Canadians in variable rate mortgages for the first time ever, and even the ones who are in their third or fourth variable rate mortgage, a lot of them don't understand. There is no cost to lock in. There is no penalty. They don't have to break their variable rate mortgage. If they're staying with the same lender, they can just convert to a fixed rate. Now, the question really that that individual is looking for an answer to is not should they pay a three-month interest penalty and lock in. The question is, should they pay a three-month interest penalty to get a different rate somewhere else than the lock-in rate being offered by that existing lender? That's the math that needs to be done. And further, given that they're prime minus one, their mortgage may be one, two, three years into its term, and they may be able to lock in to a two, three, or four year, not just a five year. 
And that's a component of the conversation because they may lean towards locking into a three-year. And of course, if they're with TD, then they could lock into a three-year fixed from day one of their five-year variable. And that's a tidbit that a few of you were unaware of right there. I've had people 15 years in the industry say, no, you have to lock in for five. No, no, you don't. That's one of the unique aspects of TD's product is you can actually go to a three-year fixed the very first day of that five-year variable rate mortgage. That is an option they give you, three-year, four-year, five-year, and up. So understanding that, I think, is really important. So if you want a blog post topic, I think that's a great topic to put out there. You want a video snippet topic? Do you need to pay a penalty to convert your variable to a fixed? No. No, you don't. I guarantee there's people out there that are going to be surprised to hear that. So there you go. There's something to go to work with. A lot also don't understand that even though the current fixed rate offering may be lower than their variable, the payment will increase. Okay, yeah, you know what? This could really, uh, we could wind up talking for another 20 minutes. But Craig, that's an excellent point. You know, if if that client is in a VRM, in a variable rate, not an adjustable rate, right? A VRM, not an ARM, you're right. I mean, when they lock in, their payment is going to pop. And that's a key piece of the equa equation as well. What is the math going to be? And that's also where they look at the paying the penalty might make more sense, even though you're getting the same rate because you're paying the penalty to get out of the existing amortization. If that person took a 25-year AM three years ago, they're down to 22 years, locking in, that's a much different payment on a 22-year remaining AM than potentially breaking, paying the penalty, getting out and going back to a 30-year AM. So there's a lot of conversations to have around all of this. That's a bigger topic. For my MA peeps, that'll be a topic on Thursday. We will dig into that. Uh, and we'll do a demo on chat GPT because that's overdue. Okay, that's it. Have a good one. Thank you very much. This too shall pass. This too shall pass.